Now, uh, Ruth is, is a small book. It's only four chapters. Within those four chapters is a message of hope and provision that I pray will encourage each of us as we walk through it this coming month. In our, uh, in our adult Sunday school class, uh, we've been going through the book of Judges. And, and at the beginning of the book of Ruth, it tells us that the story of Ruth, the story of this book, takes place during the time of the Judges. This story takes place during a time of, of unrest for the Israelite people. They're, continu- they're, they're like this continually swinging pendulum that goes back and forth. They, they turn their eyes from God and they worship false gods, the gods of their neighbors, and then God allows calamity to strike in order to bring them to repentance. They finally get the message, they repent, and then they, they, God sends them a judge to save them from whatever calamity has befallen them. Then, after the judge has lived out his life, the Bible tells us that the people forget God. They get fat and happy and decide that, that they don't need God anymore. Since life is good, you know? Things are, things are good now. And they go back to worshiping the false gods of their neighbors. And this cycle, it just, it just continues. It keeps repeating itself. So this story is not set during a time of consistency. It took place in a time of unrest, a time of uncertainty. And during this time, a famine fell on the land around Bethlehem. And a man named Elimelech took his family, his wife Naomi, and his two sons, Malin and Chilion, I have no idea if I pronounced those correctly, out of Judah, and moved them down into the land of Moab, where they were foreigners. And though they were foreigners, they were not experiencing famine, the famine that was going on in Bethlehem. And so they could at least, he, there, Elimelech could at least attempt to feed his family. This was supposed to be a good move. It was supposed to be a wise move for him and his family. What Elimelech could not know is that in the land of Moab, he would die. The Bible doesn't tell us how, just that he passed, leaving Naomi and her two sons. Well, the two sons married a pair of Moabite women, one named Orpha and one named Ruth. They lived in the land of Moab for about ten years, and then both Malan and Chilion died, so that Naomi was left without her two sons and just her daughter-in-law's. I can't imagine the loss that Naomi must have been feeling. It's, it's at this point that she decides that she is going to return to Bethlehem, like she's done. She's going back to Judah, to the land of her people. And when she sets out, her daughter-in-laws decide to join her. And so the three of them leave Moab, and they, and they go on this journey. But, but on the journey, Naomi is overcome, and she tells Orpah and Ruth to return home. She says, just, just go home. Leave me. Go back to your people. Go back to the houses that you grow up in. Go back to the houses of your mothers and find new husbands. They respond, however, that they would like to stay with her, that they would like to come back to Bethlehem with her. And that is where we pick up with the story, with our text this morning, reading from Ruth chapter 1, verses 11 to 22. Ruth chapter 1, 11 to 22. We read the word of the Lord. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even 
If I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Man, what a story. As you walk through this story, your heart just breaks for Naomi. Her, her husband dies. Her sons die. She has lost those that matter most to her, and she is a widow in a foreign land. She decides to go back home. And her son's wives decide to come with her, but she says, no, no, go back to your houses. What is there with me for you? What, what can I provide for you? Does it look like I can have kids again? And even if I was able to do, even, even if I was to get pregnant right now, tonight, you would be too old for them to give you children by the time they grew up. The way that God has moved in my life makes me so sad. It, it makes me sad for myself and it makes me sad that it has affected you in this way. I'm sorry. I have, I have nothing to give to you. Please go home. Go back to your families and, and leave me. Orpah cries, kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, and then goes back to her family. But Ruth does not. Surprisingly, Ruth decides to stick by her mother-in-law's side, and so the two of them return to Bethlehem. And when they arrive, people are surprised by the change in Naomi. She had once been, been such a happy woman, but, but the times, the losses have taken their toll on her, and so they can barely recognize her. And when they ask her if she's Naomi, she responds, I was once known as Naomi, but now I'll be known as Mara. And this name change, hits, it hits even harder when we realize that Naomi means pleasant and Mara means bitter. I was once the definition of pleasant, pleasantness, says Naomi. And now I am the definition of bitterness. 
for God has dealt harshly with me. How does your heart not just break for Naomi? It's her words in in verse 21 that hit me the hardest as I was working through this passage this week where she writes, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full and I came back empty. This Tuesday, Karen goes in for her 20-week ultrasound. 20 weeks. As excited as I am for the future of the little baby that she is carrying right now, it's hard for me not to remember the last time that we made it this far. Karen would only be carrying our little Ava for one more week before she would be stillborn. I've been sitting in those memories a little bit this week. She would have been one in about a month. And as I sit in those memories, remembering that January of 2019, there's so many emotions, but there is also almost this emotional void. I remember sitting on my couch and having no idea how to feel. I, I didn't know how I was supposed to be feeling. I sat on my couch for what felt like days, but was actually weeks, with this pit of numbness in my stomach. And that numbness, it was lined with, with hurt and fear and, and pain and sadness and confusion. And at times, I would feel glimpses of those emotions, but it was almost as if my body was just too tired, too worn out from feeling, to really give in to any one emotional response. It was like I was sitting on a couch in another world, watching myself in the third person, and I was just empty. I, I felt empty. Friends, church, what has emptied you? What has emptied you? For many of us, thankfully, it, it won't be the loss of a child or, or a family member. But just because the situation may not be as extreme doesn't mean that it's not just as draining, that it hasn't hit just as hard. Maybe we're feeling empty because we don't know how to process the emotions of life in its current state. We don't feel like we can... Stay like this, isolated and uncertain and unable to interact with the people that we love. We're struggling because elements of life have been turned upside down and, and we're, un, we're not able to cope with our current situation. We're, we're super concerned about what will become the new normal. Maybe we're empty because we've lost our employment and, and the future is bleak. There's so many people that are out of jobs. When we are able to hunt for jobs again, will there be enough jobs for all of us? How will I pay the bills? How will I put food on the table? When can I even begin to look for work again? How will I live after this? Maybe our feelings of emptiness have nothing to do with the pandemic and and everything to do with our own sinfulness. Maybe we've been unable to resist that particular sin like we want to, like, like we know we should, like we're supposed to. Maybe that particular temptation has just been too strong as of late. We've been doing so good. You know, we had been winning for so long and then suddenly we weren't winning anymore. And the reality of our failure brings the guilt and the shame. Maybe we've been fighting with those we love. Not, not normal arguing, not like your typical disagreement, 
But the emotions of the things left unsaid for so long, they just, they just came pouring out. And now, now you don't know how to feel. You don't, you don't know how they feel. You don't even realize, you didn't even realize you had all of that built up and, and now you're stuck together and you don't know how to move forward. You feel betrayed by your thoughts. You, you feel shame for having voiced them. You feel empty. Now this, this wasn't an extensive list. It's quite possible that none of these scenarios hit you, but, but something is. What is hitting you? What is making you feel empty? As we go through life, taking the lumps that come our way, going about our days, weeks, months, and years in this broken world, there are many occasions, many opportunities to feel empty. Many opportunities to have gone through a hard situation, to have experienced a difficult relationship, to have been devastated by loss, to have been faced with unwelcome change, to be swallowed up by overwhelming emotions, and to have been left unable to deal with it all, and to sit there feeling empty. And in this emptiness, we can relate to Naomi. Naomi, who fled her homeland, left what was familiar to her for a land that was foreign. And in this foreign land, she lost her spouse. She lost her sons. She became bitter. And her relationship with God has changed. The way that she views God has changed. For Naomi no longer sees God as a God of comfort, love, and provision. Now Naomi sees God as her judge. She believes that he brought these things against her. He moved his hand against me, she says. That he brought these things against her as judgment. That God has reached out his hand and moved against her. And now she is bitter. Bitter towards the world and bitter towards God. Man, how easy it is to relate to Naomi. How easy it is to be bitter about the life circumstances that we have had thrust upon us. How easy it is to be bitter about loss and unfairness. About the abuse that we've endured. The hardships of life that we were unable to avoid. But instead, they just seem to seek us out. But here's the thing, friends, church. Just as we can relate to Naomi and her bitterness... So also can we relate to Naomi in the provision, in the grace, and in the mercy that God poured out on her. And God had poured out his grace and mercy and provision on Naomi. She just, she just couldn't see it yet. It didn't happen in the way she was expecting or maybe the way that she wanted. And so she wasn't understanding it yet. Her emotions, her feelings, her expectations were blocking her view of the grace that God had already given her, already poured out over her. And man, I can relate to that as well. It's so easy to get swallowed up by emotion. Let's put a pin there. Because that said, I also want to make it incredibly clear that it's okay to experience emotions. I read something on Facebook this week that Matt Popovitz wrote, and, and I think he hit the nail on the head as it pertains to the coronavirus and, and the current situation that we are all finding ourselves in. Matt, Matt wrote this. He writes, For what it's worth, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad about the loss of a school year, another month of quarantine, and the giant cloud of uncertainty that hangs over our homes. Say it. 
Grieve it. Pray it. God made you a feeling creature, and He can handle it. I can't stress that enough, especially to you Norwegians listening this morning. God made you and me. He made us creatures that feel. He made us able to experience an extremely wide range of emotion. He made us able to feel joy, made us able to feel sadness. He made us able to feel it's okay. It is encouraged to feel. It's part of how we work through our struggles and our joys, our highs and our lows. But the danger, the danger is that in our sadness, we need to realize that how we are feeling is not a reflection of God's feelings towards us. How we are feeling is not necessarily a reflection of God's feelings towards us. When we are sad, it's a simple next step to believe that we are sad because God wants us to be sad. That we are hurting because God wants us to be hurting. It's simple, even logical, to follow in Naomi's footsteps and say, God has moved his hand against me. And that is why all this bad has happened to me. And that is a danger. That's a danger. And so as we feel emotion, as we hurt, as we suffer, as our emotions sometimes leave us empty, instead of focusing on what we feel, let us rest in what we know. Instead of focusing on what we feel, let us rest in what we know. As I sat on my couch on January of 2019, with my empty pit of emotions, it was hard to feel the things that I knew I was supposed to be feeling. Man, you guys were so great. You guys were so great. We had, we had people giving us flowers and, and so many delicious, wonderful meals and blessings. People sent us cards, and they gave us hugs and texts. And I knew that you, my friends, my church, my family, I knew that all of you were supporting us, praying for us, walking with us. I knew that all of you were doing what you could to express empathy and support for us during that time. And yet, though we were being blessed by friends and family near and far, it was it was still hard to feel. It was hard to feel what I knew I should be feeling. For none of these gifts, though wonderful and fantastic, none of these blessings were going to bring my baby girl back. And so instead of resting in what I was feeling, I had to rest in what I knew. There were the promises in Scripture that I knew to be true. How God would never leave us or forsake us, how... He never stops loving us. So even though I I wasn't feeling it, I had to rest in the reality that it was true. And what what made it hit home even harder, what, what I have come to realize over time since I just didn't have the capacity to put it together in that moment, that that moment that seemed to last forever, was that I was glimpsing the promises of Scripture as they were reflected in your actions and the actions of those who loved on us during that time. I I know that that none of you thought that providing a meal or sending flowers was going to replace my little girl. And I know that each of those gifts was God's love for me, God's love for my family, poured out through the hands of others. 
It took me a while to see it. Because I was caught up in my emotions, or in this case, my, my lack of emotion. I was caught up in my emptiness, but, but as I processed, and, and sometimes it can take us a long time to process. But as I processed, I, I began to realize that each text, each letter, each email, each gift, each flower petal, and each delicious mouthful was a tangible representation of God's love for me and for my family poured out through the hands of others. So thank you. Thank you for being God's provision in my life and in the life of my family in a time that we needed you to be that for us. A time that God called you to be that for us. It's amazing how God uses people to be an expression of his love, his provision. And he used you in my life. And in the life of Naomi, though she couldn't see it at first, though she didn't understand it at first, though the blessings wouldn't manifest immediately, and though she tried to send her away, in the life of Naomi, God used Ruth. God used the daughter-in-law who would not leave her, the daughter-in-law who left her own family, her own people, in order to stay with Naomi. The daughter-in-law whom God would use in mighty ways to bless Naomi. Whom God would use to make sure that Naomi was fed and taken care of. That God would use to secure a hope for the future for Naomi, the daughter-in-law whom God had claimed, the daughter-in-law whom God had given faith, as we see in Ruth's expression of Lord or Yahweh in verse 17 of our text this morning. Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, who would become the great-grandmother of King David. Ruth, who would be part of the lineage of Jesus. And in this way, Ruth was not just a gift to Naomi. She wasn't just provision for Naomi, but for each and every one of us as well. For it is in Jesus that God has provided for each of our deepest needs. Though we are overcome with sadness, though we are wrought with guilt, though we struggle and deal with fear, though temptation wins when we know that it shouldn't, though hardship hardens our hearts and causes us to feel empty in Christ. In Christ we are filled. In Jesus Christ, we have the physical manifestation of God's love for us. In Jesus Christ, we see so clearly God's desire to save and God's power to save, to rescue, to deliver, to provide for us. And though we would like this to take place in many varying circumstances in our lives, and sometimes they do, God has taken great care. He has gone to great lengths to make sure that the area that we need it the most is fully and completely taken care of by Him. For God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way for us to have relationship with Him Despite the sin that we so often commit and submit to, the sin that we are born with, our sin that separated us from God. For Christ carried the cross up that hill to Calvary. And there, nailed to the cross, he became sin, became the sin of the whole world. 
the past sin, the, the present sin, and the future sin. And there he paid the price for sin one time for all time. For the perfect one died in the place of the broken. Jesus dying in our place. And then he rose again, as we celebrated last week. And in his rising, he defeated sin and death. And so, sin, so in him, our hope is secure. In him, God has kept his promises to us. Through faith in him, we can have relationship with God so that when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin, but the perfect righteousness of Christ. In Christ, we are forgiven. On the account of Christ, you and, and me, we are forgiven. Rest in that. Though you feel empty, though the emotions of life lead you down a path of anger towards God, trick you into believing that God has moved his hand against you, rest in the truth that God's promises do not fade, that Christ's death will always, always be enough, and that Christ is the fulfillment, the manifestation, the truth of God's feelings towards you. That he loves you. That he wants a relationship with you. So much that he sent his son to die so that it could happen. Our text this morning ends with Naomi still bitter. Unable to see the provision that God has for her. Entering her hometown of Bethlehem. Naomi is still unaware of how God has provided for her in the form of Ruth. But the last line of the text gives such hope and promise. And they came to Bethlehem, we read. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. At the beginning of the barley harvest. The famine is over. The famine is is over. Church, friends, what you are going through right now, the famine that you are facing, sick loved ones, a past full of hardship, a future that looks bleak, the overwhelming temptations of, of pet sins, the fear, isolation, and uncertainty of our lives and the future of the country in light of COVID-19, all of it will end. All of it will end. The famine will end. And someday, some glorious day, there will be a harvest. A time when pain is gone, when the hurts are healed, and when the empty are completely filled forever. Let us rest in the promise of that harvest. Let us rest in the one who has made the promise. Let us rest in God during these times of trouble. For he will provide. What an amazing, powerful, wonderful, merciful, and gracious God we serve. Amen.